what's up with you? <laughs> you guys, this is my favorite day. I love it when we get to take the episode one of a series and put it on the regular feed. Before we say anything else, you guys, I'll be gone in the dark. Our coverage of this, I think, is some of the best coverage we have ever done. What do you think? Yeah, I think it helps that the series itself is really well made and also fits the TCO format really well. And it's also very well made and we were really passionate about it. So I mean, it is definitely one of the best series I've ever watched. I, I have a friend in it, it turns out. It's so I crazy. Know. My big question is, is is the famous Paul Holes Blazer, does it make an appearance in F1? I can't remember. <laughs> find out. Let's all find out together. I'm obsessed with Paul Holes in that blazer. It's my favorite thing. You guys, the other thing, Nancy Miller, who appears in episode one, she was Michelle Mack. McNamara's editor for the LA Magazine piece about the Golden State Killer that was eventually turned into the book I'll Be Gone in the Dark. We loved her in this and she is a fan, you guys. She's on the Patreon feed. She reached out to us we did an interview with her, and it's live on Patreon as of today. So listen to this. You can find the rest of the episodes of I'll Be Gone in the Dark, in addition to like 150 other full bonus episodes on Patreon right now, and our interview with Nancy Miller. I know. And she reached out after, I think after we were done with the coverage of it, right? Yes. And she was like, yes. hey, so I listened to all of it. And, you know, our, we're holding our breath in that first sentence of the email where it's I like, know. where is I this going to go? And I thankfully, know. she's like, her, a friend told her about the podcast. She joined Lady Pates. She, she yeah. listened to all of it. She reached out and now we are best friends and no one can tell me differently. We are best friends. Totally, yeah. So enjoy episode one of All Begun in the Dark. You can get the rest of the series right now on Patreon and we're going to say bye at the end. Yeah. All right. Enjoy. Go. Get out of here, you. Go. Well, don't. I mean, stay. Listen to the pod, but don't. <laughs> we, we'll go. We'll see you later. Right. <laughs> Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Girl, I'll be gone in the dark. Episode one, Murder Habit. Look, can I tell you, when this book came out, I bought it this fucking second it came out. I was obsessed. Yeah, I I love this so much. Not the same vibe as McMillions, yeah. so to speak, but yeah. um, this is so my speed. I mean, come on. I, this is HBO at its finest. I love it. I totally agree. The whole thing about the order of events was that Michelle McNamara was obviously obsessed with the Golden State Killer. She named him mm -hmm. the Golden State Killer. Michelle McNamara, unfortunately, died and didn't mm -hmm. what didn't finish the book. So right after she died, they discovered who the Golden State Killer was. Then her book came out. It was right. crazy town. Yeah. There's just a lot of a lot of familiar faces here. Oh, we have friends <laughs> in this documentary. <laughs> and also, so we get Michelle McNamara's voice a lot. Yes. But we also get a narrator reading parts of her book or parts of the blog. Do you know yeah. who it is? No. It's Amy Ryan, also known as Holly Flax <gasps> from The Office and Beatty from The Wire. It's Amy Ryan? I love, like, like multi-Academy Award nominee Amy Ryan. Yeah, and I'm like, Holly Flax from The Office, like a basic right. bitch. I'm, I'll just say it. Uh, well, so it opens with, we get a whole bunch of, like, voicemails from Michelle McNamara. It's so great that we hear her voice and she's very present in this. I'm a crime writer in Los Angeles. I am doing a series on unsolved crimes. Hi, Kate. It's, this is Michelle McNamara. Hey, it's Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Hi. I, mean, I, I, I write a lot about unsolved cases. One that I um, am very fascinated with is the East Area Rapist Original Night Stalker case. We learned that the case that she's most obsessed with is, guys, bear with me on this, East Area Rapist slash Original Night Stalker. They give him the moniker Ear-Ons. Ear-Ons. I have on other podcasts screamed about how that is the worst, most annoying, like, eyesore of a fucking name for a serial killer. <laughs> it makes me crazy. Ear-Ons. Ear-Ons. I know. And then so people say it like right. it's nothing. <laughs> like, it's just like, I had pancakes right. for breakfast. It's like, yeah, so he, she was really right. obsessed with Ear-Ons. Ear-Ons. It's Terrible. And everyone's like, I don't know why no one knows about this case. I don't know why it never caught on. <laughs> Eerons? You guys, you, have, you get to choose between the Zodiac Killer or Eerons. Like, who's going to get more media attention, you guys? And Michelle doesn't love that we're still talking about Zodiac, but I'm like, but Zodiac versus exactly what you said. Or Eerons? Like, Eerons, people, girl. even if they think, like, you know, he murdered people during their time of the Zodiac. No, he didn't. No. But people are interested that you're Zodiac. Oh. I, exactly. Now, hold exactly, on a second. Exactly. Eerons? Pass. But I wanted to say, like, the thing about Michelle too that is like so relatable is that she says the things out loud that I think some of us are afraid to say and mm -hmm. she was like the first to say it and you know that she was the first to say it because we get Karen Kilgraff from My, My Favorite, Favorite Murder. I started reading Michelle's blog True Crime Diary basically on a recommendation and I was obsessed with it like she couldn't post enough 
her stories and the way she told them made them so memorable. You know, they all stuck with you. The My Favorite Murder women are so credited. And I, I mean, I give so much thanks to them for like creating a, a genre that we could easily slide oh, into girl. and like make a living as podcasters, yeah. you know? But like we give them credit for being there first with My Favorite Murder, which doesn't sound controversial anymore. But when it first came out, like that name oh. of that podcast, even I was like, oh, you're not allowed yeah. to do that. But Karen Kilgraff is here to tell us later that Michelle did it first. Like she was the first one out there saying, I'm obsessed with this. I can't get enough of it. I have a murder habit and I was going to feed it for the rest of my life. Yeah. Then we get the opening credits. Another Amy I love is here. Amy Mann is oh doing this So My Speed, this nice and creepy but kind of motivating cover of Leonard Cohen's Avalanche. Well, I stepped into an avalanche It covered up my soul How did I not know that was Amy Mann? I love Amy Mann. So it's April 24th, 2018, and we're in like a book warehouse where Patton Oswalt, who was Michelle McNamara's husband, is like signing books. And I was like, why is he signing those? <laughs> right, he's because he, he wrote the afterword. Yes, and they got to that very quickly, but I was like, why is he signing his wife's book? That's really weird. <laughs> I was like hypnotized by the sound and the rhythm of him yes. signing those books. Did you catch that? Yes. I've written a couple books, none that were ever nearly popular enough to need this, but I've been in the room when this has happened for other authors, which is just, it's an assembly line where they like hand the books down and they've got the thing already in. So you turn it over, you sign it, you slam it. You turn it over, you sign it, you slam it. That sound. I but know. I'm like, it doesn't sound like that when I sign the TCO postcards that we sent to everybody. <laughs> I don't have that cool sound. The one thing I want to say, so Patton Oswald is talking about the process of like writing this afterward. And he's saying that like, there were those moments when I would want to just like run upstairs and go tell her something because it felt like I was listening to her. And then I, I'm like, oh no, she's not, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was just, it was a very, it was a very dark week yeah. for me. And that's when you realize, okay, so this is going to be incredibly well made. Yes. And it's going to be very moving with Michelle and like what she did for this case and like a badass woman and women working together and dealing with like some sexual violence stuff. And that's horrible. And then the relationship of these two people who like adored each other. I was just going to say, like, I feel like Patton Oswalt is maybe the nicest person in the world. I've never met him. I don't know him. But like, he seems so genuine and sweet to me. And like, he just like loves her so much, you know? So we're jumping back in time now. So it's seven years before Pat Oswald is sitting there signing the books. And we get this video interview of Michelle. I don't know what it's for, but it's from November 11th, 2001. And she's talking about, like, the tragedy of this Eron's case. I have to, because it's two words. It's not Eron's. It's like Eron's. Ear slash ons. But we, she already coined Golden State Killer. So you, if you feel if you feel better saying Golden State Killer, <laughs> let's do that. Because Eron's. <laughs> And just so you know, because Pat Oswalt says it, so people like we meet people who still go by Eron's because they were there right in the beginning. So yeah, yeah, Eron's yeah. is the Golden State Killer. We are going to do Golden State Killer, right? Is that fair? Thank enough? you, girl. Thank you. I really I what a nice you. thing you just did for me. Thank you. I have your back always, <laughs> and things like this in particular. <laughs> yeah, and this is where she says that like the great tragedy of this case to me is that it's not better known. I mean, I can't. You know, like, you know, I wish Zodiac would get rid of his 15 minutes of fame so that Eurons could get a little heat, you know? Girl, I thought of you. She's like, I wish the Zodiac would get done with his 10 minutes so that the Golden State Killer could get some heat. I agree. I'm I'm with her on this. Like, it's Arthur Lee Allen. I mean, my God, let's move on. Let's drag somebody else, for God's sake. I'm I'm all about uh, getting justice and and getting attention on this stuff. So, Michelle, I'm with you. So the guy says to her, like, how did you even learn about this case? And she says, like, I think it was just four or five years ago that I happened to be home one night and one of the E! shows or something was on. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. I've never, what? And Larry Crompton's book kind of got me. That's been the last, like, year kind of obsession. Right. Started with that book. She heard about it on some E! show and she like looked it up on the internet and finds this guy's book and she becomes obsessed with it. Right. So it's Sudden Terror by Larry Crompton. And then suddenly I'm like, Larry Crompton's here. Right. <laughs> right. Because I thought he was just like some author. No, you guys. He was like the lead detective on the case. He's a retired lieutenant. He worked on the, the task force in the 70s. He has yeah. so many files. He's very well organized. Are you going to say it? I would say bless this mess. <laughs> but Larry has everything in this 
very I cool know. looking antique looking trunk, which I really, really appreciate. It's very well organized. It does feel a little bit like Steve Tipton was like, let me get my hands on those files. And he put it in envelopes. It's all it's color alphabetized. Coded. Yeah, it's totally. color coded. But it's like all these, and this kind of blew my mind. It's like everything he's showing us in this trunk are all of the different, like they were suspects that looked really good that then they ruled out. And it's sort of like, oh my God, how terrifying is it that there was enough fucking creepy dudes like <laughs> night stalking through Sacramento in the 70s that there's this many files and they all looked good. Yeah, welcome to the world. Am I right? <laughs> Everything's the worst. <laughs> and the thing about Larry is that he was there from the beginning and he's yeah. here with us now. So he has this really incredible perspective because he's saying today, he's like, because we're at like the house, like the first house that the Golden State Killer ever ever attacked someone in. Yeah. And Larry's like, it's, it's hard to believe this. But when I walked into the house, I had a feeling. The hair on the back of my neck would just feel like it was standing up. It was just the, the fear that was in the victims. And, uh, and listening to what they, what they said, it, it just had a feeling that this is a madman. Do you remember this from Don't F with Cats? That detective that we loved so much had uh-huh. the same exact thing. She was saying that like when I walked into that apartment where he dismembered the man and yeah. that whole horrible thing, she's like, I felt him. I felt him. It was like I was seeing through his eyes, you know? And as soon as I heard this here, I was like, no, Larry, this doesn't sound crazy, girl. We've heard this before. People who are great at your job, you guys have these feelings. Right, because he's like, we never dealt like anything like this before and we yeah. felt it. Oh my God, look. Do you see? I know, I know. Yeah, 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 I know. The chills. So we we learned throughout just really horrible, super trigger warning details about this guy. And I got to tell you, girl, this was like really hard for me to watch and listen to. But I love the fact that we have Michelle and some badass women at the helm of this. So buckle up, everybody. Yeah. Like, I forget that because I read this book, I knew all of this information about him. Right. But like, you know, we learned that he always wore a mask, always wore gloves, talked through clenched teeth set the houses up prior to the victims arriving, unlocked doors and windows, open gates. This is the most terrifying thing to me. He would stalk the neighborhoods, we're going to learn, mm-hmm. and he would choose his victims, and he was methodical about it, and he would learn their routines, and then he would like literally break into their houses before they got home and set it up so he had basically his equipment already placed around the house. He would prep the house. Yeah. He would do prep, and he would put like ligatures and stuff and like weapons behind pillows, so he would just be grabbing stuff from behind your pillow, under your couch. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, where the fuck did that come from? Oh, because he put it there yesterday. That's right. so terrifying. And then when he would go to commit the crimes, we learn. And I remember reading this in the book and being like, this is... I was able to see this in my mind in a way that, like, it's never left me. I think about this from time to time. He would rummage through the kitchen and find, like, china. Like a tea set. Like, their dishes. They're, they're dishes. Yeah. I don't know why I had to make it fancy, girl. Yeah, I don't know. I was like, girl, it's it's bad. Again, when it's bad enough, we don't have to exaggerate. Just, right. just the facts, ma'am. Ma'am, just the facts. Yeah, exactly. But he would, like, take the tied-up man and put him, like, face down in the living room and balance, like, plates and glasses on him. And he would say, if I hear these glasses rumble, I'm going to kill your wife. Yeah, and so Larry is is telling us, like... My job is to catch him, and I didn't do that. And uh, I can't let it go. Oh, you're a good one. Right, Larry? Don't, yeah, yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Larry, wait a second. I'm fa- I'm, I can feel like I'm falling for you, Larry. And I just, I've been hurt so many times. I know. And it's just. Please don't end up being garbage, Larry. I'm just now learning to love again. Right. Wait, what was her name? The lawyer from the Menendez case, Leslie Abramson. God, she really fucking turned on you, girl. She really did. It was yeah. really hard. I know. And Larry, I just. I'm going to go easy on this. But right now, it's feeling really great. And like, girl, you and I, you're at, we're at brunch and you're like, be careful. Remember what happened last yep. time? And yep. I'm like, no, I just feel it. I yep. really get like a good energy. And so I'm going to, fingers crossed. I'm holding my breath. I know. And so we're back with Patton Oswald and he's saying like. I remember Michelle ultimately wanted to serve helping to get this guy caught. She looked at it from the the, the hopeful, optimistic humans putting puzzles together, trying to get closure, trying to make sense of violence and and despair. 
The thing about Michelle was that she really wanted to be a part of like catching this guy. And it wasn't about we I say this term a lot. It wasn't like torture porn. It wasn't like no. glorifying anything. It actually kept her up at night because she's like, I gotta get him. I have to get this guy. More than that, it was like, I think I know how. She like comes to the understanding that she's one of those people that gets like these clues locked in her brain. She can put puzzle pieces together from things that she learned two years ago and things that she learned yesterday. So she's saying to us that like what I love is this intersection of sort of technology and crime solving in that people can get sort of wheeled out of their house for something they did in 1957 because of the internet, because of DNA. I really get off on that. That is is so amazing to me. I love the idea that someone can get wheeled out of their house for something they did in 1953. (laughs) And I saw myself so hard in that moment. But I love, she's such a writer and she's such an incredible communicator that like wheeled out of their house to me means that they're like some decrepit 98 year old asshole who's being wheeled out of their house in the winter. Spoiler, that's literally what happens in this case. (laughs) But it's also Robert Durst like, okay, bye bye. Yeah. Like from like being wheeled out of the house, like everyone have a great weekend. I'm getting out of this, but like wheeled out of their house for something they did in 1953. I was like, girl, speak in my language. Let's do this. Let's get them all. So we get some background on Michelle, like how she sort of ended up where she is in this, like sort of with her obsession with the Golden State Killer. And we learn about her blog. She had a blog in like 2007 called True Crime Diaries. What led you to starting this blog? Well, I always followed crime stories and that I was always a writer. So I really just, I started it on a lark, really. She wasn't trying to be famous. She was just trying to like start a blog about this thing that she had an, an interest in. And this is where we get Karen Kilgraff saying like her stories really stuck with you. And like the difference between Michelle and the other like true crime shit you'd see on the internet was that Michelle was like this beautiful writer. So her stories really like stuck with you. And she also humanized these people. It wasn't about the torture porn. It wasn't trying to get into to like, ooh, and then what other bad thing happened? It was like, no, the victims are real people. Yeah. And we should give them a voice and give them justice. You know who agrees? Our friend Billy Jensen. <laughs> Did you catch what his lower third is? No. Crime writer, comma, citizen detective. Yes, girl. <laughs> Billy, hey girl, nice gigantic office you have there. My I goodness. I know. <laughs> so like, I said this a little bit at the top about how like, the idea of like, loving true crime was something that everyone sort of like, always secretly felt but Michelle was like the first person to like start saying it out loud so we get this like radio interview do you want to take it (laughs) you look like you wanted to take it I just wanted to say that it feels to me that she was at least doing it right in the sense where she wasn't glorifying this person. I mean, we've seen people like with, you know, Charles Manson's face on their shirt right. and all this shit. Yeah, like yeah. she wasn't doing that. So she spoke to a lot of people who were interested, but horrified and fascinated and wanted to get to the bottom of it. And it wasn't like, isn't this the coolest story or was it romanticizing any of it? So she did both of them in kind of a beautifully written way way like her words are like I want to use the word intoxicating but how obnoxious is that (laughs) you know what I mean like yeah yeah because she does this interview with this like DJ or whoever it is who's like she is a truth seeker is what she is (laughs) let's face it you have a career you have a life because people are always going to get murdered well, you yeah. deal in the, murder, the devil. The murder biz. You know, girl, you're always going to have a career because you're in the murder business and people are always <laughs> going to get murdered, girl. And and Michelle's like, you can tell she does not love that characterization of what totally. she does. Even though, like, even though, like, if we're being honest, it's kind of true. And that's what Karen Kilgraff, who's like became famous for making the first true crime comedy podcast, is like, mm-hmm. yeah, girl, like nothing was like that in 2007. Right. So we jumped to 2007. And we're in Jenner, California, and we're, we get like Michelle's research footage and we learn that this Jenner case was this major turning point for Michelle. She was discussing it on her blog. And basically the title of the blog should have been, this is why you should never go camping. Right. Essentially. Yeah. And she's also being interviewed by her husband. I guess Patton like had a radio show or whatever. And Patton is saying like, tell me about this case. There's something going on in the Northwest. And like, it's so chilling to hear it, but it's also like, oh my God, girl, tell me more. She has this theory that there's a, and I remember this, I remember this theory, that there's a serial killer, like an active working serial killer in the Northwest who's killing hikers or campers out, basically. Couples out camping. Again, never go camping. (laughs) How many times do we have to tell you, you guys? Yeah, I mean, I have a theory that there's a serial killer operating in the Northwest who is killing couples, like out camping. There's been about 
four or five cases where there seems to be no motive and they are both shot in the head. She's like, it's super random. There's no motive. And I'm like, so don't go outside ever. Yeah, I was doing it before it was cool. Quarantine. Okay. I'm not going camping regardless. But so she decides she's got to go like see this for herself. So, you know, there's these four different couples that have been found murdered, shot at very close range. And she goes to this place called Jenner and she like goes down to this beach. It's not easy to get to this beach. You have to negotiate a tricky path down a rocky cliff. If you're the murderer, you had to really either know these people were there or really want to get to them or both. And she hikes her way down to this beach to sort of see this crime scene. And we're told that, like, her doing this really changed everything. And, guys, this is foreshadowing for what she does in the Golden State Killer case. That's that's why we're learning this. That in order for her to be able to write the way that she wanted to write, she had to go to these places and really be able to investigate them in person. Yeah, because Patton Oswalt's like, she, she knew she couldn't just click around. The act of actually going to the crime scene and walking the case made her go, oh, yeah, I can't just be clicking on the internet. I have to go visit places and look at places. It changed the way she wrote about it. So now she's she's being interviewed about this news story that she saw about... This is bananas. This is, this is one of those things where it's like, she was here to do a certain kind of yep. work, and this was the work she was here to do. Totally. She is, she's brilliant at it. She just has a... Uh, she had a great brain for this kind of stuff. Totally. So she sees this news story about a kidnapping of a 13-year-old boy, and she's watching this, and her brain, in this amazing way it works, goes, you know what? That kind of reminds me of this case that nobody knows about from like five years ago. Yeah. There were things that were interesting to me, so I posted um, that I think whoever took this boy, Ben Ownby, probably also took this kid, Sean Hornbeck, and I posted it on a Wednesday. That Friday, the police in St. Louis went to investigate a tip about where Ben Ownby might be, and they knocked on the door, and Sean Hornbeck opened the door. I'm getting chills. I can't. Girl, I remember when this happened. I remember being like, what the fuck? And whoever's asking her about it is like, so, uh, just to be clear, it's the boy who was was kidnapped. I'm like, why aren't you screaming about, why aren't you saying, wait a second, so the kid from five years ago that nobody knew about, he's the one who answered the door? Michelle predicted it. She just knew. She was like, her, the way her brain works, she'd read a story about this kidnapping from five years ago, probably five years ago. And when she's like mm-hmm. learning about this kidnapping that just happened, she's like, wait, this really reminds me of that other thing from five fucking years ago. I mean. And she was absolutely right. I mean, like, again, her brain was just designed to do this shit. Exactly. And it's just like, you can almost see like when they eventually make the movie about this. Yeah. Someone will do like, where you just get into her brain and we see like, boop, 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 <laughs> like see her connect stuff. You know, like, totally. I feel like like you, the, you just have to visualize her brain because yeah, it's yeah. just it's just like lights and li- like lines connecting. And I'm like, is there more wine in the fridge? I know, I know. I'm really mad about this, but is there like more wine anywhere? Can I just scream at Patrick about it for two mm-hmm. hours? Cool. Mm-hmm. And Michelle McNamara is going to the beach and solving stuff on her blog. Some people are meant to solve crimes. Other people are meant to get drunk and talk about them doing it. Girl. And scream about it. <laughs> <Right. laughs> So this is where Patton is saying to us, like, I cannot remember the specific time we started talking about Iran's because every day there was so many cases she was following up. And then just organically, that became the thing that got narrowed down. She was great at solving these these crimes. She was really obsessed with true crime. She was always working on a hundred different things, but eventually it just got narrowed down to her obsession with the Golden State Killer. Right. And so now we meet Nancy Miller. Oh my God. I love Nancy Miller. Nancy Miller is my kind of people. I love Nancy Miller. Don't love her editor who really <laughs> sounds like a piece of work, but Nancy Miller I love. So Nancy Miller is the former deputy editor of Los Angeles Magazine. Yeah. And she meets Michelle and she is gushing over Michelle just like we are. She was so smart. She was so cool. And she was so smart and so cool and down to earth. And her shit was together. Not only that, I really liked how she was unpretentious in a obviously a pretty pretentious city and business. I remember she wore these like clogs. She had a backpack like a that she bought at Target. And she just showed up totally like in a, like in a flannel shirt and just as like 
low-key as possible. Michelle showed up to this meeting the way that I would show up to this meeting. Looking frumpy, wearing a flannel, Target backpack, clogs. Like, And she loves this about Michelle. That like Michelle's married to this like super famous guy, but she's not like pretentious about it at all. She like shows up to this meeting and Michelle knows like the goods that she has to offer is this incredible story that she has. But so Nancy is telling us like, look, we went to this cafe. We sat down at 11 a.m. We didn't leave until three because she was telling me this crazy story about this guy. And, you know, it cuts back and forth between Nancy talking and Michelle talking. But the gist of it is that this guy that Michelle is obsessed with, he was the worst serial offender in modern history that nobody knows about. He raped over 50 women in California. He killed 10 people and he's never been caught. And Nancy is all of us. This guy was one of the most prolific, violent, brutal serial rapists and eventually a murderer. And I had never heard of him. Like you'd heard of Zodiac Killer, you heard Son of Sam, like you hear of all of these big, especially in the 70s and 80s, which seemed to be the most fertile period for these serial killer stories. And I had never heard of him. Girl, how do I not know this story? Nancy, I'll tell you how you don't know this story. Because they named him <laughs> Ear Ons, girl, and nobody wants to write about Ear Slash Ons. The slash is silent. Like, what the... <laughs> But like, this is, oh, uh, Michelle is just giving us more information. Like, this guy was so fucking creepy. He would eat in people's kitchens. He would hide yeah. the ligatures and weapons in people's homes. Again, like you were saying before. Like, he'd yeah. be in the middle of attacking you and pulling a weapon out from under the couch. That The homeowner knows wasn't there this morning. That's your home. That's your bed. That's your sanctuary. Yeah. And not only is he invading it and you in this way, but he's been there before. I know. And he hid something. And you went to bed the night before not knowing that this thing he was going to use against you was under your couch cushion I know. like the amount of evil i know and it's why michelle mcnamara is is so obsessed with finding him truly you can't fucking get away with this this cannot be a thing that like not on her watch you know exactly and so she's on her like not on my watch brigade she finds herself on the message board for uh the a and e show cold case files yeah and so like you guys message boards are crazy so like all of these cases have communities around them right like the Maura murray case there's there's a whole online community. Like, uh, I direct your attention to Don't F With Cats. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And so, like, Michelle stumbles upon this message board where there's over 150,000 posts. And I was just, you know, for someone like me, again, it's like, oh, wow, look at all these. Oh, wow. Like, <laughs> wait, who would spend, you know, all this time? Well, me, I guess, because it's a week later and I've read 20,000 posts. She's like, yeah, I looked at it and I thought it was crazy. And cut to me four days later, I've read every single one of those posts. Right. And Patton Oswald's like, hi, so do you want like a date night? And she's like, no, <laughs> I'm going to get him. <laughs> and so Michelle is telling us like, you know, there's a lot of different factions on these message boards, but there were people that were starting to stand out right away as like people who were like what Body Movin was saying and don't have with cats. Like there were certain people that you knew had their shit together that really cared, that knew the facts that were going to do it. And one of the first ones we, we meet is his name on the message board was the kid, but we all now know him as Paul Haynes. So she reaches out to him privately and they develop this report and it's like, it's such a weird world, this world, because yeah. although everybody wants to solve the case, everyone's super secretive about like what they know and the shit they've been able to get access to. It's kind of like everyone for themselves, even though it's bigger than all of them. Right, right. But they're still kind of like, what do you know? Whose side are you on? I worked really hard for this information. Can I trust you? Can yep. I give this information to you? And so he says that like, you know, we started exchanging notes and um, developed a rapport pretty quickly. You know, we just built mutual trust until we were just you know, openly sharing our work with each other. And, and that's when we discovered that a lot of it had, had intersected. So she also reaches out to someone known as the social worker, but her name is Melanie. Yes. And Melanie, I am obsessed with you, Melanie. I am obsessed with your friendship with Michelle. Yeah. I need to dive into all of this. <laughs> I like, know. The thing about Melanie, the social worker, is that like she was kind of known on the board, on the message boards, as like somebody who had a good relationship with law enforcement. She was considered to be somebody who had like inside information. So people like liked her and respected her, but they were also sort of jealous and hated her for that, for this, like all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, they kind of called her the gatekeeper. Like, she yeah. could go back and forth between investigators and, like, the rando message board people. Yeah. And the rando message board people would be like, well, why aren't you telling us super secret information from this case? And she's like, because you're on the message board. Like, right. I'll do what I can. <laughs> like, Melanie was kind of on the up and up. And so, like, Michelle writes this email to her. Yeah. Just, like, this really well-written, like, I would trust Michelle in a second. Hi. My name is Michelle. I'm a longtime lurker on the Eron's board. 
The cases of interest to me, and you seem really measured and thoughtful in your responses. I wanted to know if you have any thoughts on something. I spent an afternoon doing some research, and I feel like I've stumbled upon a compelling suspect. Good thing Michelle has good intentions, because I would be duped by her right. in a heartbeat. <laughs> I would say to Mike, I was like, this woman is so open and honest, and like she gets me, and she's here for the right reasons. Like It's so well written that the cynical part of me is like, what's her game here? And I'm like, oh no, she's just trying to get justice. Yeah. Like She's just trying to do the right thing, but she's so good at it. So she goes to meet Melanie. She like travels to meet Melanie. They know each other from a message board. Well, we had been in communication. I knew she was flying into Sacramento and she was another civilian that was interested in the movement. And we would drive around to the crime scenes. I would take her to the areas. And so we drove around for hours. You know, that was the beginning of a, a relationship. We'll remain lifelong friends forever. Like, everyone is saying, like, Michelle is like, I loved her right away. Melanie is like, I love her right away. And Melanie says this. Melanie basically just says, let the women do the work. She's like, I have that in my notes, too. Because we see Melanie today. Yes. And she says this quote where it's like me, some idiot, screams, let the women do the work. But Melanie, when I say that, this is what I mean. Melanie, girl, you have the floor. There's something about two women getting together that have a common cause and a common goal. And, you know, we're crusaders. We're warriors. We're on the path. Yeah. Yes, girl. Yes. And I just felt like, fuck yes. Like, we need more of that. Yeah. So Melanie takes Michelle and they, like, drive the crime scene. Remember how oh. Michelle, like, needed to be in the places to be able to see them, to visualize them, and that helps her right. in her research and her writing. So we drive to Rancho Cordova, where victims one and three, like, live in the same neighborhood. This is really amazing because Melanie is taking us to the crime scenes, and then we get Michelle's footage. So we yes. get this really cool edit of yes. the two of them in the car just so thrilled to find like a sister in this yeah they just they're talking a mile a minute and they're talking over each other but they're not like cutting each other off yep. they just are finishing each other's sentences and they're so excited and they're like she finally has like a partner in this and she's so excited and then we cut to melanie now and it's like it looks exactly the same yeah and i was thinking too like if i'm watching this documentary and i'm like i live in rancho cordova that's weird shit and then you see them pull up in front of your house and like that's where attack number one or three happened. Oh. Can you fucking imagine? It's fucking terrifying to be like, that's our neighborhood, babe. Come over here. And they pull up in front of your house. Can you imagine? And then it's just, you're just, your life turns into slow motion. And it's <laughs> it's that shot from Jaws where it's going in, but out at the same time. And it's like, <gasps> <gasps> we have to move. Great. We're moving now. Exactly. Great. Exactly. So, you know, she takes us to house number one. We hear about, like, I don't want to play a lot of this because it's really triggering and awful. And It's, it's really hard. Guys. So she takes us to house number one where the crime happened on June 18th, 1976. They then drive to house number three where crime number three happened on August 29th, 1976. It's these terrible attacks on women in both places. And Melanie is saying like, I think he was stalking houses for a while before he attacked. Like she's talking to Michelle about this. And the neighbor also said that he was hearing for a couple months prior uh, people jumping over his fence. It's my guess that he was actually uh, um, looking at these houses long before he attacked. It's one of those things where, I hope I describe this accurately, you can kind of get from one house to the other through the backyard, if that makes sense. So this becomes important later because we learn that like this is how he would move around. It seems to me like in California, they, they have a lot of these where like a bunch of houses in a subdivision will have their backyard and a fence. And right behind the fence is like a little like concrete canal almost, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so we're going to learn later that that's kind of how he would navigate these neighborhoods and Melanie is saying like if you look down this fence line all of these houses like on all of their backyards all sort of abut this like this one fence line that you could walk up and down and be able to see into everybody's yard with no obstruction and we learned too that the person who lived at the first house where the fence would be to like jump over and be able to walk down the backyards he said that in the in the months leading up to the attacks on these women in that summer he heard somebody jumping over that fence all the time so we learned that he was stalking the 
these houses trying to figure out people's patterns. It's fucking terrifying. And then we hear like witnesses said, yeah, I did. I, you know, I did see a masked man naked from the waist down. Do you think that's right. important? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> that's a real thing, you guys. That actually happened. A neighbor had seen Ear walking away with no pants on, but could not describe his face. Like in one of these attacks, he showed up just naked from the waist down and then fled naked from the waist down and somebody saw him. I mean, it's... Uh... Again, to quote Leslie Nope, it's all bad. It's just, it's all bad. Right. But you know what's not bad? We get Patton talking about their lovey relationship. And it starts by saying like, you know, Michelle was super confident after she got back from this visit with Melanie to Sacramento. Like, because again, she was there. She wasn't just clicking away, as he said. He says this thing where I'm like, oh. As Michelle was going up doing drive arounds of Sacramento, I saw her confidence growing. It was really exciting to have someone who was you're in love with someone and they're doing something and you can see how excited and energized they are about it. And that makes you excited and energized. Well, shit, Patton. That's awesome. More of that, please. Yeah, and so we get the sort of backstory on how they met. And, you know, he was a, an actor on a TV show, but he was also doing stand-up with gigs. With Leah Remini. He was on King of Queens with Leah Remini. Did you watch that show? No, because it's one of those okay. shows where some <laughs> schlubby guy has the super hot wife. Totally, for no reason. Totally, totally. For no reason. Yeah. Like, you think Leah Remini is what is with Kevin or whatever his name is? Right. Whatever. Can't, please. But anyway, Pat Oswalt was on that, and it was one of those big, like, popular shows. And, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so he's like doing a stand-up gig at this like famous place called Largo. She didn't know who he was. And, you know, he has this whole joke about Irish women are his kryptonite. And then I was just sitting at, at the bar afterwards and she was leaving and she literally tapped me and just went, Irish women, nice. And, I was, and she was so fucking like steamroller gorgeous that I was just stunned. And I ran, I literally ran. <laughs> And then uh, the first word I ever said to her was, hey! <laughs> and then she turned around and I went, I'm not going to play any fucking games. I want your name and number so I can take you on a date this week. Are you free? Yeah. And she went, yeah. I went, good. Give me a number. <laughs> on this date they go see this like Italian sci-fi movie and he thought she was so cool and smart and he's so intimidated by her this story is like so kind of dated because they were like on the phone like in bed and they're like flipping around on TV or or he calls her it's very when Harry met Sally when like he calls her and he's like hey our favorite movie Creature of the Black Lagoon is on and she's like girl I'm already watching it let's watch it together like this very like cute thing and the Creature of the Black Lagoon we'll get back to it it's the only reason why I'm mentioning it and it's terrifying but this bit ends with Patton trying to explain how he finally like won her over he says he refers to it as his edward g robinson impression i did not know what that was did you oh my god okay edward g robinson so this is this is where my like you are you are a 90 year old man like sometimes i think you're like a 20 year old gay guy but then there are other times that you're definitely like a 90 year old man thank you um i minored in film in college and this is where that comes out so like edward g robinson is and Patton does the voice where it's like hey see yeah he's that kid's got moxie it's all that <laughs> Yeah, see? Look at the getaway sticks on that tomato. Ooh, look at the keister on that hot number. Wait, it's what? What's her name? Does in Parks and Rec? Andy's wife. What's her name? I can't think of her name. Uh, uh, Aubrey oh, Plaza. Oh yeah, it's her like, character. Oh, she, well, she's Janet Snakehole. Hey, how about this? This yeah. one. This uh, sack of potatoes right here. That, that's it. But Edward G. Robinson was in Double Indemnity, which is one of the best film noirs like ever. He was in Key Largo with Bogey. Like he's just like. <laughs> None of these words make any sense. You don't know to me. who Humphrey Bogart is, girl. <laughs> oh, okay. I know. Girl, the look on your face, daggers coming out of those Italian eye holes. Are you a gay man or not? I don't know. Sometimes I don't know. <laughs> Steve knows who Humphrey. Steve is more the classic noir yes. films. You. That's very very. You true. are every night's a riot. They're very. That's why you yes. balance each other. <laughs> you you are you are my ties at eleven o'clock. Steve is in bed with Turner Classic Movies at 7.30. You are every night's a riot. This is why I love you. Oh, my God. But I am both of you. I'm like, I will watch Turner Classic Movies, but I will also, but after a full day of my ties starting at 11.30 in the morning. It's a very, it's interesting. Well, I love this because it ends with Patton Oswalt trying to explain why his impression is adorable. And he's like, you know, couples have in-jokes with each other, and that became one of my, you know, it was just all that 30s gangster slang. I, you know. However you want to say it, I can't. Oh God! No, but it's like, but no, but it's like, no, 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 no. I'm not explaining this right. It's like, and then he finally just puts his head in his hands, and he's like, "I'm such a dork." But the 
thing about that that I loved is like every couple has their own language. You and Steve totally. have words that I don't know. Me and Mike, we call each other nicknames. We have little bits. We have a language that nobody knows. And he's talking about this very pivotal, lovey moment in their relationship. And she's not here now. And he's talking about it. And so that part of like his, like when he rubs his face and he's like, oh God, I think part of, I think it's like every feeling he possibly had in one yeah. like very raw, sweet kind of like, well, now I got to go watch Double Indemnity, Patton. Thanks. <laughs> so then we meet Richard Shelby. He's a detective in Sacramento. He was another one who was on the case from the very beginning. Yeah, he responded to the call of survivor number five, Jane Carson. Yeah. But we, we also meet Carol Daly and she's a retired detective. Like Carol says some things here. When we realized that we first had a series going, the sheriff did not want the media to be aware of it because of what was happening within the rapes. He didn't want the word to get out to make fear in the community. He had a pattern and they didn't want the media to know. So this is like the cops and the media kind of wrestling here. And I had a real issue with this because, you know, we're told by the cops now, the sheriff was like, we can't tell anybody that this is happening because we don't know who it is and we have no information to give them. It's going to create mass panic. And I was like, didn't you just say that this was a town where nobody locked the doors? Right. Like, if you just told the town, maybe they'd lock the doors and windows and be uh, like, I I say empower the people. I say give them the fucking information. (laughs) Right. Like, so women can stop being raped for no reason. That would be wonderful. That would be really great. Yeah. Uh, But so the cop. Should I run for sheriff, girl? (laughs) Yeah, my, my platform would be stop raping people. Stop raping. Right. Stop, actually, stop raping, period. I, I would run on that platform. Yeah. Just, so, just. I mean, I, I'd probably lose because that's welcome right. to 2020. I would lose. No, I would be like the third party candidate. No one would give a shit. They'd be like, there's that hysterical woman talking about her feelings again. What an idiot. She has the smallest brain out of anyone here. She can go. Welcome to 2020. She has even a small brain for a woman. Even for a woman. It's like, it's really, we don't most study her, but we don't care enough about what she thinks. (laughs) Is there a ditch we could just throw her in? Can we just shut her up real quick? Great. (laughs) We would almost study her, but we can't be wasting valuable time and resources on that. (laughs) So stupid. Who cares? I don't even want to know. I don't even want to. I don't know. Look at her arms, by the way. Look how puny. What an idiot. What a weak, what a weak arm, small brained idiot. She can't even lift, probably. Does she even lift? Probably not. Oh my God. So, so the cops say to the press, hey girl, please don't print anything. We're totally going to catch them. Please don't say anything. Please don't say anything. The media became aware of it. The sheriff said, please don't print anything. We're going to catch this guy. And then as time went on and we didn't catch the guy, the media uh, said, okay, we're going to start printing. That was when the whole community was brought in. And they have a community meeting about the Golden State Killer. And this is when some cop is telling... This is unbelievable. You guys, I made a joke in a Simply Safe ad about this, that like, this cop is up there being like, you guys, look, we didn't want to tell you about Mm -hmm. this. The media forced our hands. There is a rapist. There's a serial rapist in our midst. Mm -hmm. And here's how you protect yourself. It's a simple security system, you guys. It's so fucking easy, you idiots. It's a 32-step plan. It's very simple. You can use a simple alarm system mount a bell device on the outside of your home string some wires to a power source and then string the other set of wires right to a nightstand and have a toggle switch there and if you ever hear the glass breaking reach over on your nightstand and flip the switch the bell goes off on the outside he literally is like so you take the cord and you connect it to the other cord you get a light bulb you screw it into the ceiling and then and then you get a noise maker and you there's you... twine involved there's twine <laughs> it's basically the commercial for mousetrap where it's like ring the bell and do the thing then and it's a mousetrap but at the end you catch the golden state killer and <laughs> and you have to remember like it's the 70s there's no is there like a piece of paper that i can take home is there a graph I or a diagram right. or am i just supposed to be terrified that there is a, a serial right. rapist on the loose who who eludes you police officer and also just remember the 38 point plan of how to protect my home <laughs> with a bell and a piece of tape <laughs> so we're back to larry crompton remember he's the was the like original detective that wrote the book that michelle was like obsessed with yeah he tells us this horrible thing you guys a lot of people don't realize this but six rapes in sacramento 
out of the first 10, six of them were teenagers and two of them were 15 years old. People don't realize that six out of the first 10 rapes were teenagers. Two of them were 15 years old. Yeah, and survivor number 10 is Chris Pedretti. And you guys, we're going to go through this real quick because this... Yeah, we're not going to play any of this. She was a young kid. She was 15. There was a school dance on December 18th, and she stayed home because she wasn't feeling well. Her parents went to a party. Her sister was at work, and, like, she describes playing the piano. This is, like, this kills me. She's, like, such a good kid where she's, like, home, and she, like, gets all cozy for the night, and, like, she has her slippers on. She eats her pizza, and she's going to play piano, and as she's playing piano, she thinks she hears a noise, and she's like, well, of course I heard a noise, right? I'm home alone. I'm 15. Like you're you're right, always thinking that someone's right behind you, and the ter- the thing yeah. that rips your heart out is that somebody was behind her. Yeah, and like the long and the short yeah. of it is like I mean he brutally rapes her over and over again for hours, yep. and she's just like sitting here telling us the story, and she's like you know she's obviously she's okay, she's a survivor. I love that this this film refers to them all as survivors, and you know she says that like the thing that was just like so telling it was it was such a metaphor for this was that after that she could never play the piano again because she always felt like there was somebody standing right behind her yeah that's uh that was the thing that made me really stand up and and have to take like a 10 minute break like she yeah she loved this thing so much and and she yeah that that was just that gutted me it gutted me it's terrible it's terrible so we're getting to the end of the episode and remember how michelle was pitching this article to los angeles magazine and the editor and the whatever her name what, what was the her reporter name? nancy yeah nancy yeah and nancy really like liked the story but was like girl we gotta find a way to tie it to now right because she keeps saying she makes her editor sound like a piece of shit because she's like this is really important but my editor's not gonna like it we gotta make it a little juicy and i'm like nancy like somewhere right. that editor is like that's not exactly what i said i just said because Nancy says 15 times I have to pitch this to my editor-in-chief everyone loves a story about a killer (laughs) but in order to get her interested I had to convince her that this story was relevant now and that it was like a Los Angeles and a California story. I know this yeah. is really important, but like, what have you done for me lately? And somewhere I feel, unless that editor's total right. garbage, then that fine. But the way I'm like, wow, this woman must be a piece of shit because she's just like, you got anything else? What, 50 rapes and 10 deaths? That's nothing. And I'm like, oh my I God, know. Nancy. I know, I know. But Michelle's got an ace in the hole because remember, her best friend is Melanie and Melanie has access to all these police files. And so we hear a tape Michelle recorded everything and she goes to Melanie's house and she's like I pitched LA Magazine the year story and they're interested in doing it possibly which would be amazing I mean that would be like the kind of publicity that just you can't buy you know if there's any way I could look at whatever you have and I won't copy anything I just look at it and take notes and then give it back to you tomorrow at least then I can say I saw case files girl I pitched the story to Los Angeles magazine that's good for us for them to run the story because we think this guy is still alive we think he's still out there we think that he is catchable and this kind of a of a major article would be like what we need but girl what I need from you is I need I need those files girl I've got to be able to go to this editor and say I've seen something that nobody else has seen so can I have access to your files and Mel- Melanie's like, usually I'd say no, but we're best friends now. Right. And Melanie's like, look, I've if, if the message board only knew, like I swore my life that I wouldn't let anyone see these. So how about this? You look at them now here in front of me. Yeah. I cannot let these files leave my house. I can't break confidence because technically they just said they couldn't leave my home. They're not leaving my home right. if you're looking at it on my living room couch, girl. So go through all those files and, you know, let's see. And and Michelle goes, well, how many pages are there? And she goes, I'm like four or five thousand. <gasps> right. <laughs> but then Melanie has a change of heart because she's like wait I should make a trade with you today you let me take this today and I'll let you take the case today wow. and then we give them back and then we give back I would do that I would do that but we have to give them back I can't believe I'm doing this but I want to see your information. So how about this? You give me your information. I'll give you this flash drive with all 5,000 like files on it right now. You've got 24 hours. Go to your hotel. Do your thing. I'll do my thing. In the morning, we'll reconnect. We'll give we'll give each other our shit back. You hear Melanie go, oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> she's like, I know. she's like, the kid is going to kill me. Or like, at, we're right. going to get him. We're going to get Eron's. He's going to totally get me. Good thing body moving wasn't on that board because she would have really. You got to follow the rules. 
And I remember this so vividly from the book because anybody who's obsessed with any particular case, if you get like a windfall of information on this thing, like Michelle it cannot get back to her hotel fast enough. Oh. She's running red light. She's going a million miles an hour. She's like going on and on about how like... Ahead of me was a rare 24-hour stretch without interference or distraction. No tiny hands slicked with paint asking to be washed. No preoccupied, hungry husband to inquire about dinner. No fucking kid to bother me. No hungry husband to bother me. No I'm hungry a- husband. Michelle. I know. <laughs> And she does. She gets back to the hotel and she just like puts in that flash drive and goes through every single thing she ever wanted to know about the Golden State Killer. And now like this is why I love these HBO docs. When they're done right, they are just like chef's kiss. They are just so good. Yeah, yeah, Because part of the thing that that Michelle and Patton bonded over was their love of the creature from the Black Lagoon. And so Michelle is learning, oh my God, these canals that you were describing earlier that were in these neighborhoods, he would like travel through these canals and as we get the Amy Ryan voiceover of Michelle yeah. discovering this, we get footage of the creature from the Black Lagoon, like as this, like you know, it's like terrifying. I've never seen this before. I'm watching it. There's like this beautiful woman swimming in a lake, and you see this like sea creature from the bottom of the, the lake, Black Lagoon. like swimming, yeah, <laughs> swimming up towards her. And it's like I have a, an underwater fear oh. thing anyway that BuzzFeed tells me is real, so I stand by it. You don't need BuzzFeed. I'll tell you that it's real, girl. I, I have like there's something about looking at images of deep water like like, w- cool, like you and natalie wood it's terrifying yes 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 but i like the water i like swimming i know how to swim but like anyway i'm watching this creature like emerge like about to attack this woman oh i'm getting like the chills just thinking I about it. it's so terrifying it's so funny because if you watched it not in this context if you and steve just like rented it or watched it you'd be like yeah. look at that you could totally see the gloves and the mask like it's so right. old <laughs> that you would be like this is i can't believe they fell for it but because the music and like the, we're in right. it we're an hour into this thing and we're like oh my god he's yeah. actually the creep and it, then it, it comes back to their love story and we're obsessed but so she says this thing she's like he was doing reconnaissance he was studying people learning when they were home that means that women exist who because of change of schedule or luck were never victims but they felt something terrifying brush against them Women exist who, because of change of schedule or luck, were never victims. But like you, girl, she's talking to you. They felt something terrifying brush up against them. And it ends with this email of Nancy being like, girl, we got it. The story's a go. You finally told me something interesting enough. Let's do this. Episode (laughs) over. Chills everywhere. I'm so in. I'm so in. Thank you for listening to episode one of I'll Be Gone in the Dark. You can get the rest of the series right now on Patreon, which is where you can also find over 150 full bonus episodes to download and binge immediately. Yeah, and also ad-free versions of what's on this feed. Yeah, that's well. true. Let's not forget that. I just want to say one more time, it's one of my most favorite documentaries series we've ever covered. I think it's some of our best work. I hope you guys will check it out. Yeah, it's just, we we loved the series and there's just so much waiting for you on the Patreon. If you're into it, great. If you're not, that's totally cool. Thanks for hanging yeah. for this hour and we'll see you at your leisure and convenience. There's no pressure. <laughs> if you want to find it, it's patreon.com slash true crime obsessed or you can go to our website, click on the Patreon link and we love you guys. We love you. Thanks for letting this be our job, you guys. Thanks. Seriously, thank you. <laughs> Seriously, right. thank you. Seriously, thank you. All right, bye. <laughs> bye. 